good to be in church, isn't it? It's good to be able to have the freedom to actually gather together in church. You know, I love this time of our service where we get to open up our Bibles, maybe not physically, but electronically or check out the screens. But what I love about the Bible is it's so relevant. It's so relevant to our everyday life, written 2,000 years ago, yet still relevant today. And it's personal. God wants to speak to you personally, individually this morning. You might be going through a season where it's full of joy. It's a great season in your life. God wants to speak to you in that season. You might be going through a season that's a bit tougher, that you've got to push through and overcome some things. God wants to speak to you in that season also. And you know what our responsibility is? To open up our hearts, to lean in, to catch what God wants to say to us in the season that we find ourselves in. And as we work his word into our lives, it's so relevant to our thought life, to our relationships, to our family lives, to our business world, to every area of our life. And as we take his word and we work it into our lives, it changes us. It transforms us from the inside out. So you're ready to lean in this morning? This book of First Thessalonians is no different. It's a small book, yet a powerful book. And it's relevant to us here today, 2020 Mandra, Western Australia. You know, in the first week, Pastor Josh kicked off this series of talks with a powerful message about what fuels your future. And he challenged us with three questions. He said, what are you building? What is driving you? And what wakes you up in the morning besides a crying baby or a snoring husband, whatever that is? And then last week, he talked about evidence of the future. And he reminded us that right now, in Jesus, we are holy. We are blameless. And then we spend the rest of our life walking out that holiness in the process of sanctification. And we're in this forever. It's an every, an, an all day, every moment thing. So there's always room for more. There's always room for more growth. There's always room to get better. And this week, we find ourselves in the final chapter, chapter 5. So you're ready to lean in? I'm going to read the first six verses of 1 Thessalonians 5. Now concerning how... And when all this will happen, dear brothers and sisters, we don't really need to write to you. For you know quite well that the day of the Lord's return will come unexpectedly, like a thief in the night. When people are saying everything is peaceful and secure, then disaster will fall on them as suddenly as a pregnant woman's labour pains begin. And there will be no escape. But you aren't in the dark about these things, dear brothers and sisters, and you won't be surprised when the day of the Lord comes like a thief. For you are all children of the light and of the day. We don't belong to darkness and night. So be on your guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and be clear-headed. This is definitely a message you cannot fall asleep in. <laughs> I've titled this message, Living for the Future. Would you pray with me before we continue? God, we just thank you. We thank you that you are here with us this morning. You said where two or three gather in your name, there you are in their midst. And we honor you this morning. We want you to speak to us this morning. We want to lean in. We want to catch what you have to say to us this morning and work that into our lives. So we trust you to do that this morning in Jesus' mighty name. And they all said, amen. amen. I want to start with a question this morning. What do you think of when you hear the term end of the world? COVID. 
You might think of the old Will Smith movie where Robert, robots took over the world. Or maybe you think of the old Will Smith movie where zombies took over the world. Or maybe you think of the old Will Smith movie where aliens took over the world. Old Will Smith seems to be the go-to guy when it comes to end-of-the-world movies. For me, I have flashbacks to a different kind of movie. It was shown when I was in youth group, so it was a, a very long time ago, and it was called A Thief in the Night. And the synopsis of that movie was there was this lady that was in bed one morning and she rolled over, turned on her radio, and she heard the radio announcer say that millions of people had disappeared overnight. And maybe this was the rapture of the world or the, the church that the Bible refers to. And she listens to this and then she rolls over and her husband has disappeared. He's been raptured and she's been left behind. And the rest of the movie sort of um, has her chasing around and escaping um, the government authorities who want to mark her with the mark of the beast and all those scary kind of things. And there were these white vans. I think I've got an image coming up here. These white vans that um, used to come up. It's scary. I know. I was terrified. I had nightmares for weeks after watching this movie. And I'd come home and I'd yell out to mum, are you home? And if she said yes, I'd go, phew, I haven't been left behind. Because she was kind of the benchmark of holiness back then. And I would say the salvation prayer, honestly, about 10 times a day, every time I did anything wrong, forgive me, God, I don't want to be left behind. That's what I think about when I think of the end of the world. What do you think about? There seems to be extremes when it comes to this whole idea of the end of the world and when Jesus comes back. There's sometimes perhaps an unhealthy preoccupation with the specific times and seasons and when it's going to happen and what's going to happen. But on the other hand, there can be an unhealthy uh, disregard or an unhealthy neglect of what the future holds. Hopefully this morning, with the help of Paul and the Holy Spirit, we can land on a perhaps a more balanced um, perspective of end times. Because Paul makes it really clear from the very start to his readers that we don't know when he is coming. Turn to the person next to you and say, you don't know when. You might think you do, but you don't know when. Paul tells us, let's read it again in verse 2, he says, For you know quite well that the day of the Lord will come unexpectedly like a thief in the night. Now, when you think about thieves, they don't really schedule an appointment, do they? They don't kind of go, Mim, I'm going to be at your house Thursday, 9am. No, they come unexpectedly. And Aaron and I have had some uh, run-in with thieves along, uh, along the journey And one of the most memorable ones was the day we were moving into our brand new house that we'd built. And we were so excited. We had the three kids in the back and the car all packed up. It was pouring with rain. We got to our house and we did the remote control with the garage door. Up it went. And as it went up, we thought something's not quite right because the door was ajar that was going into the house. So we kind of tentatively walked in. And yes, thieves had been the night before. They'd ripped out our oven, our cooktop, our extractor fan, But the worst thing was, in the garage, I had a little um, bar fridge and a little microwave on top that I'd put some pies in, health food of the nation, um, to heat up for when we were going to um, unpack and then we'd have lunch. They had taken my pies, put them in the microwave, I could see the trail of crumbs, and they had taken the pies with them. I mean, how bad is that? But that's the whole point Paul's trying to convey here, isn't it? That thieves come unexpectedly. It's thievery 101. Jesus said it himself. In Matthew 25, he said, For you do not know the day or hour 
of my return. But I know myself, as soon as someone says, I can't know something, I want to know it more. It's just human nature, isn't it? And down through history, people have tried to guess when the end of the world is coming. I mean, back in Europe, as it was approaching year, the year 1000, it was chaotic because everyone thought that the world was going to end. It didn't. There was a guy called Egda Wiesenot, sad name. <laughs> he wrote 88 reasons why Jesus is going to return in 1988. And when he didn't return in 1988, he wrote a follow-up book in 1989. <laughs> and of course, year 2000, we all thought the world was going to end, didn't we? Built our bunkers and hoarded on toilet paper and um, baked beans. It does sound like COVID, doesn't it? He didn't come. There was a book that came out, it's quite funny, called The End. And the subtitle was, Get Your Copy Before It's Too Late. <laughs> See, there's been countless predictions as to when Jesus is coming back. But Paul makes it really clear... We don't know when he is coming, but we do know he is coming. Say he is coming. We might not know when, but we know the day of the Lord is coming. Now that term, day of the Lord, it's not a term that Paul just sort of made up or plucked out of thin air. Actually translated day of the Lord means the day of judgment or the day of wrath. I can see you're getting uncomfortable in your seats now. We don't like the term judgment, do we? Often we fear judgment. But here's the thing. We fear judgment, but we also fear a world without judgment. Think about it. When, when a country's government falls and there's anarchy, it's, it's a terrible place to live, isn't it? It's a scary place to live because there's no one to adjudicate what is right and what is wrong. So we find ourselves in this, this kind of conundrum. We, we want mercy, but we also want justice. So what does God do with those kind of two um, opposing forces? Well, God's mercy is shown through his justice. You see, if God had set aside judgment to show mercy to his people, he wouldn't have been a righteous God. Stay with me for a moment. Hopefully it's going to become clearer than mud. Adam. Adam sinned, with a little bit of help from Eve. And... Um, <laughs> He sinned and he failed to meet God's standards and so did every human being from then onwards. The Bible tells us all have fallen short of God's standards. And because of that, the penalty of sin was death. The judgment for sin was death. Enter Jesus. Enter Jesus, the Son of God, who came to earth, flesh and blood like you and I. Yet he resisted temptation. He was sinless. He was perfect. And therefore, he was able to lay down his life and pay the judgment for our sins. Take the judgment of sin of all mankind upon himself on that cross. Pay the penalty once and for all. He moved us from judgment to mercy. This is how Paul writes it in verse 9 and 10. He says, For God has not destined us to experience wrath, but to possess salvation through our Lord Jesus, the Anointed One. He gave his life for us so that we might share in resurrection life with him. Your destiny is no longer judgment. Your destiny is no longer guilt. Your destiny is no longer shame or death. Your destiny is hope. Your destiny is eternal life. You have been pronounced not guilty. How good is that? 
That is the hope that we have, and that is the hope that we are called to live in right now, and that is the hope that we are called to traffic to our world. You know, there was a series that um, viewed on Netflix uh, a while back. Sounds like I watch a lot of TV, doesn't it? I probably do. It was a, a series called The Early Edition. And the idea of the series was that the main character got the daily newspaper 24 hours before it was actually happened. So he was compelled in that 24 hours to change whatever he could or to warn whoever he could. He had foreknowledge of the future. Guess what? We as Jesus followers have the early edition. We know what the future holds in some sense. We know that God's big story is coming to an end, to a crescendo. And we too are compelled to share the hope that we have. We are called to be part of God's big story to bring hope to all humanity. We don't know when he's coming, but we do know he is coming. And we should live like he is coming. Live like he is coming. Paul writes in verse 6, he says, So be on guard, not asleep like the others. Stay alert and clear-headed. Now, Paul's not saying you should all be insomniacs and stay up all night. That's no excuse, young adults, for staying up all night. But if you knew a thief was coming, if Aaron knew that thief was coming, he would have been prepared, I can tell you now, with a baseball bat in his hand. No, I mean a Bible, ready to share God's faith. So what does being prepared actually look like? Should we put our tinfoil hats on? Build our bunkers, store up on baked beans and toilet paper? And be on guard against the enemy? Well, you do armour up in a sense. But not with tinfoil hats and fear. But rather with faith, hope and love. The powerhouse that Paul introduced us to in the very first book, of first chapter of 1 Thessalonians. It's been the golden thread, hasn't it? That's gone right through the book. He writes again in verse 8. He says, but since we belong to the day... We must stay alert and clear-headed. How? By placing the breastplate of faith and love over our hearts and a helmet of hope of salvation over our thoughts. See, every day as Jesus followers, you are called to strap on faith, to put on hope, and then move forward in love. Not to retreat, but to move forward. Not to hoard, but to give away. Not to fear, but have faith. Not to judge, but show mercy and compassion. To be hope traffickers. To say to people, I know God, I want you to know him too. God's mended my brokenness, healed my hurt, I know he can do that for you too. And that faith, expressing itself in love, love for God and love for others, comes from a spring well of hope. That confident expectation that Jesus is coming back. And he's coming back to take his followers to live with him forever. See, that's our hope in the future. And that cascades back into our present. It's not an unattainable fan fantasy, but a reality. Hope is the anchor that holds our hearts, holds our souls secure and safe in this in-between time. You see, if I can trust God... With the end of my story, I can trust God with the middle of my story. If I can trust that God can turn the cross, the brutal cross, into an implement of beauty and redemption, then maybe he can turn my brokenness and my pain 
into something redemptive, something to bring him glory. Turn to the person next to you and say, faith, hope, and love. And then Paul closes off this letter by answering the age-old question, what does a person of the future look like? Marketers, analysts, advertisers, they spend their days trying to answer this question. What does a person of the future look like? And it's about this time of the year that we start to hear the predictions, don't we? Of what the future homeware trends are going to be and the future fashion's going to be and the future food's going to be. So I did a little bit of research. And you heard it first from me. Chickpeas are making a comeback. Are you excited? Chickpeas are the new cauliflower, apparently. And coffee beyond the mug is a real phenomenon. There's going to be coffee granola and coffee yogurt. Sounds like we've died and gone to heaven already. <laughs> Navy blue is the new colour for 2021. And textured walls are back. Now, regarding what the person of the future will actually be wearing in a fashion sense, girls, you're going to have to embrace the florals. There you go. That's what you're going to be wearing in the future. Beautiful. And guys, didn't want to leave you out. This is what you're going to be wearing in the future. Nice high pants and the tucked in shirt. My prediction, hear me now, my prediction for 2021, Pastor Josh is going to be preaching in that. Yeah. Paul gives us a very different answer to that same question. In the next 10 verses of this chapter, leading to the very finish, there are 22 characteristics of what a person of the future looks like. 22. And when you look at that list of 22, at first it just looks like a random list of good ways to live. But take a closer look and you see that Paul has arranged them around the big three, love, hope and faith. And he describes in this real practical um, language what a person of the future looks like, how a person of the future should be attired. Would you read with me? We're going to go into verse 12 to 15. This is what love looks like when it's lived out. And now, friends, we ask you to honour those leaders who work so hard for you, who have been given the responsibility of urging and guiding you along in your obedience. Overwhelm them with appreciation and love. Get along among yourselves, each of you doing your part. Our counsel is that you warn the freeloaders to get a move on. I love Paul's practical. Gently encourage the stragglers and reach out for the exhausted, pulling them to their feet. Be patient with each person. Attentive to individual needs and be careful that when you get on each other's nerves, you don't snap at each other. Sorry, Aaron. Look for the best in each other and always do your best to bring it out. That's what love in action looks like. You ready for hope? This is what hope looks like. Be cheerful no matter what, because you have hope. Pray all the time. Thank God no matter what happens. This is the way God wants you who belong to Christ Jesus to live. And finally, faith. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't stifle those who have a word from the master. But on the other hand, don't be gullible. Check out everything and keep only what's good. Throw out anything tainted with evil. Love, hope and faith. That's what it looks like. Now you might look at this list like I did at first and think, that's impossible. That's way too hard. God, you want me to thank you in every season I find myself in? What if it's a tough one? You want me to be patient with everyone? Have you met my husband? 
You want me to, to um, honour my leaders? What if they don't do exactly what I want them to do? Well, the next verse gives me hope, and I hope that it does for you too. This is what it says. May God himself, the God who makes everything holy and whole, make you holy and whole. Put you together. Do you ever feel like you're not quite together? God says, I'm going to put you together, spirit, soul, and body, and keep you fit for the coming of our Master Jesus Christ. The one who called you is completely dependable. If he said it, he'll do it. If he said it, he'll do it. That's good news, isn't it? All we've got to do is grab his hand and walk with him day by day. Open up his word, work it into our lives. Yes, we might make mistakes. Yes, we'll probably stuff up. But we just get up, dust our knees off, hold on to his hand and walk with him until that day when he says, da-da, here's my bride, here's my child, perfect, holy, blameless. I want to leave you with three challenges this morning because right from the very start, we said we want to work this into our life, don't we? We don't want to just be hearers, we want to be doers. So you up for a challenge? Okay, you can do all three or you can pick one. Are you awake and prepared? Or have you been a little bit anaesthetized, a little bit numbed out by life? Ask God to wake you up this week. Number two, what are you doing with the early edition that you've been given? That knowledge, that foreknowledge that God has placed in your heart, that hope, are you sharing it? And finally, what faith-filled, love-filled, hope-filled action? You've got 22 to choose from. Which one can you put into action this week to encourage somebody else, to build somebody else's life up? You might be here this morning and you might be thinking, well, this all sounds great, but I've actually never taken that first step of faith, that first step in saying, yep, I want to follow you, Jesus. I want you to come into my life. I want you to give me the power to live the life that you've called me to. It's as simple as a step of faith. We don't behave and be saved. We receive, we believe and receive. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer in a moment. I ask you to bow your heads right now. Everyone's eyes closed. I've got my eyes open because I'm going to ask you, I'm going to challenge you this morning. If you want to make that step, I'm going to ask that you just whack up your hand nice and high right now so that I can see it. Right across this auditorium. Is there anyone that wants to say, yep, I want to follow Jesus? If you're watching online, you can just put your hand on your heart if you want to pray this prayer for the very first time. We're going to pray it together right now. Dear Jesus, I ask you to come into my life. I want you to be the leader of my life. I ask forgiveness for my sin. I thank you that you died on the cross for me. I ask you to fill me with your Holy Spirit now. I want to walk with you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.